Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This episode of Conversations on Dance is generously supported by Yumiko. Yumiko just launched their brand new Multicolor Plus collection. Now there truly are unlimited ways to customize your leotards to express your unique style. The plus in the new Multicolor Plus collection is the additional and multiple fabrics and colors used for every individual strap, trimming, and panel of the leotards in this collection. Pieces feature intricate designs that can include two different colors within the same panel, alternating velvet and nylon trims on different sides of the body, as well as multiple fabrics and colors on straps and necklines. Check out all the ways that you can customize the new Multicolor Plus collection now by clicking over to yumiko.com or visiting their New York City flagship boutique. Before we get started today, we want to announce that we have just launched a Conversations on Dance Facebook group. Join now by searching Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, to connect with other listeners, post your thoughts about episodes, ask us questions, request guests, and much more. Join today and become a friend of the pod. This episode is brought to you by USC's Gloria Kaufman School of Dance. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Today we are joined by Jody Gates, Vice Dean and Director of the University of Southern California's Gloria Kaufman School of Dance. Ms. Gates was a celebrated principal dancer with the Joffrey Ballet, Frankfurt Ballet, and the Pennsylvania Ballet, as well as a principal guest artist with several companies around the world. She was a muse for celebrated choreographer Robert Joffrey and has worked with a host of world-renowned choreographers including Merce Cunningham, Agnes DeMille, Paul Taylor, and Gerald Arpino. In addition to her work at USC, she continues her passion of choreographing around the world and works as a beloved repetitor for William Forsyth. Founded in 2012, USC Kaufman is at the forefront of developing dancers, choreographers, and dance leaders for the future. Their degree program embraces the artistic rigor of conservatory dance instruction with unparalleled academic opportunity offered by one of the world's leading universities to shape the next generation of dance leaders who are connected to the world at large. So thank you so much, Jody, for joining us today. We're so glad to chat with you. Fortunately, Skype makes it possible for us to talk to you in California. I'm in Florida. Michael's in New York. So we're all across the country getting together to chat today. So we appreciate your time. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. So we're just going to start at the beginning. We want to know um, how you got your start in ballet and what your initial training was like. Sure. Uh, so I started as probably most every other young girl at the age of five 
And uh, it was a bit of a, you know, it was creative dancing, right? Mm -hmm. A bit of a a babysitter, as one does uh, when when you have a single mom. And uh, I really took to it um, almost immediately, primarily because of the music. Mm -hmm. And um, at the age of 15, uh, I was performing as part of a school uh, company called Sacramento Ballet School. And I was seen by Robert Joffrey at that time. And yeah, it was part of a regional dance America festival that still to this day happens. And it was in Sacramento, California. And uh, Mr. Joffrey invited me on full scholarship to the school. And um, that year, being 15, my mother thought it was a little bit too young for me to be going to New York City on my own. Yeah. Um, The following year, Robert Joffrey saw me again and then invited me to the school again, in which case I did go at the age of 16. And about three weeks into the summer, school at the Joffrey Ballet School in New York City, he asked me to join the apprentice company of the Joffrey Ballet. Wow. Uh, So yeah, my training was primarily uh, in in California, but I also did train at School of American Ballet in New York Mm -hmm. at the age of 13 Mm -hmm. and um, was also taking from various teachers, uh, Larry Rhodes, Jean-Paul Comlin, Mm -hmm. Marjorie Musman, several teachers that people might recognize. Uh, I would go hunt them down and train with them. (laughs) So once Robert Joffrey hired you into the company, uh, what was what was working for him like? What was his creative process like? Oh, sure. Well, he he was quite the visionary, and I'm very fortunate to have been one discovered by him. But two, he sees potential. He saw potential in us that we did not even see. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my case, for example, he was a um, incredibly inspiring man to work for. He had a curatorial sense for his repertory that was just incredible. In other words, the evenings that one would get to dance, whether it was in the apprentice company or in the main company, were extraordinary. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything from iconic works by Agnes DeMille Mm -hmm. um, to The Green Table, and then doing the most, you know, new work by an uh, emerging choreographer. In those days, it would have been Bill Forsyth. So Twyla Tharp, he discovered Twyla Tharp. Uh, mm-hmm. He brought in her uh, her except a couple times. So uh, working with him also was like working for an, a dance historian. He he absolutely loved talking about dance, ballet, modern dance, uh, great art of any significance. Um, meaning that you know whether it was Roski, uh, he would he would love to talk about um, uh, design, art, and design. Uh, history of dance. When we danced Petrushka, for example, he would want to sit us down and talk through um, the importance of every role on stage, not just the three lead characters, but in fact, how my role um, as a gypsy impacts the entire cast. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was super inspiring. And mm-hmm. uh, we all wanted to do our best for him. And and for me, he saw in me, I think, a sense of leadership. Uh, he knew that I loved to teach even at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. So I joined when I was 16. At 17, he brought me into the main company. Mm-hmm. And I was already uh, executing master classes when we were on tour by the age of 20. Wow. So you were wow. teaching for the company? Not for the company, but okay. he would send me out to the schools when the ah, company was on tour. That yeah. makes sense. Wow, that's so great. So did he give you any sort of... Um, insight into teaching or did he kind of just like want to 
kind of throw you out there and get you that experience really young. Because as we, as we know, you know, when we retired, we hadn't had the opportunity to teach much. That's not something you really do as a professional. And then when you retire, if you want to stay in the field, the next thing is kind of teaching. So it sounds like you had this really unique opportunity to start fostering that um, part of yourself really early on. Did he give you any sort of advice or lead you in any way with that? I think, uh, well, he gave me the courage and he saw that I, uh, was, uh, um, a hard worker mm-hmm. and he, uh, he encouraged me to dive into perhaps what it might be like to lead a room of dancers. Uh, he, his encouragement, um, was primarily based, I think, on the work that he saw that I was doing in the classroom and in rehearsal and, and I, my work ethic was, and still is um, off the chain, probably <clears throat> than it should be. Uh, and and I think he he also understood that I had trained with uh, good teachers, and I think that that's part of it too. That typically it's such an oral profession, you know. Typically mm-hmm. we we pass it on, and and we try to share what we've learned. And um, I I believe he just had a lot of confidence in me, and uh, and so he did send me out, and uh, uh, perhaps the feedback uh, when I first began teaching. Um, in schools when we were on tour, maybe the feedback was uh, better than I initially thought. And in that case, he continued to send me out. Right. So um, William Forsyth is someone who obviously you would later go on to work with extensively, Mm -hmm. but you you met him uh, during your time at Joffrey. Is that right? Yeah, when I was 18. So I I was only in the company for about, gosh, maybe eight months. And Bill Forsyth came uh, to stage a work of his called Love Songs. Mm-hmm. It was later filmed for PBS Great Performances. And in fact, you can see it online to this day. And it uh, the, the piece in itself was a, it's a series of solos and duets. And the whole company, you know, as, as Mr. Joffrey would do, everybody had an opportunity to audition for every piece. It was mm-hmm. an all-star, no-star system. Right. So, I love that. Yeah. So, um, you know, being brand new in the company, I was one of the the individuals in the company that would, you know, was auditioning for the roles of the solos and the duets. And lo and behold, you know, like day three after the, you know, we're still going through the audition process with Bill. Um, I, I find myself uh, in the cast mm-hmm. um, dancing first cast, uh, one of the solos to the music. Uh, I, I got love by D- uh, Diane Warwick. Oh, and um so, yeah, that, you know, I've known Bill for, you know, going on uh, 30 some odd years now. Right. right. So, so yeah. how many of his ballets did you dance um, while you were with Joffrey? Oh, I only danced one uh, oh, when okay. I was with Joffrey, but then I went on to Frankfurt Ballet. If you fast mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. 15 years, uh, I joined Frankfurt Ballet or maybe it was 20 years later. Um and uh, and then danced and had created on me as well several mm. several of his repertory. Now was Pennsylvania well, we- Ballet in the middle of that time as well? Exactly. So um, after about fifteen years at the Joffrey, and at that point, you know Robert Joffrey had passed, and the company was going bankrupt. And it was mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety five that the company decided to close shop in New York City, and that their new home would be in Chicago. And that same period. Um, you know, I had danced all of the rep and I had done all of the leads from Juliet to many works by Robert Joffrey and <clears throat> Killian and, and, um, Agnes DeMille and, 
every work that came in I had performed um, and Gerald Arpino's works, of course. And mm -hmm. I was looking for a change and it was perfect timing. I received a principal contract for Pennsylvania Ballet and I went there for five years. At that same time, I um, did go and perform with the Joffrey because they were just starting the company back up in Chicago and they actually <laughs> needed principals that could do the repertory. Right. So, um, because many of the dancers had left. So I would go on weekends, fly on weekends to perform with the Joffrey wow. while I was still a principal with Pennsylvania Ballet. And I would guest with uh, Complexion's Contemporary Ballet during that <clears throat> five-year period uh, between 95 and 2000. So it sounds like you were basically always just so hungry for any opportunity to do something new. I mean, who I can't think of that many people who their rep can spans that many different facets of of not just ballet, but, you know, contemporary dance or modern, too. Um, did you always have this sort of, like, passion or uh, desire to explore all these different facets, you know? I, I feel like a lot of us get, you know, Rebecca and I were both very into balancing, and we knew that that's what we wanted to do from a young age, but were you just always like, I gotta do everything? You know, I think so. I really do. <laughs> I... I I was super curious and, you know, I wasn't necessarily gifted probably like the two of you with just an incredible physique. I, um, you know, I was four and, 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 and kind of athletic in nature. I, I did track as a youngster and, um, and I have quick fire muscles so I could, you know, jump and turn. But what I didn't recognize in myself and I was growing through the Joffrey was through the repertoire, you know, I became, um, I could do not just the superette roles, but I became much more dramatic as a dancer mm -hmm. and, um, was, became I, my most successful role was probably Juliet. So mm -hmm. I, wow. I, I my, myself was growing through the repertory. And when I joined Pennsylvania Ballet, I had the beautiful opportunity to dance so much of the balancing repertoire and and i just i loved it, it mm -hmm. i loved it. everything from that cracker you know sugar plum and capella to serenade the waltz girl and serenade to um you know stars and stripes and tchaikovsky paw and mm -hmm. and all those wonderful pieces that just mm -hmm. um are iconic and such a a dream to dance. Um, and then through those five years at, uh, work doing the balancing repertoire in the full lengths, like Giselle and uh, Swan Lake, um, I realized, wow, I'm 35 and I want to work with a soul choreographer now. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't because I wasn't happy. I just knew that my time was ticking mm -hmm. and I needed to, to gather even more knowledge. And I uh, visited Bill in uh, Frankfurt and uh, he said, Hey, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm just kind of hang out and, you know, can I, can I, <laughs> hang out with the company and you for a week. I'm just so curious. What's it like to be here in Europe mm -hmm. at the end of the week? He's like, Oh, it was great to have you here. You know, uh, would you like to join the company? <laughs> and I said, sure. <laughs> wow. I, I was, I, I didn't really know what I wanted, but I knew that I wanted to experience something new. And, um, in that summer I moved to Frankfurt, Germany and mm -hmm. uh, was there for five years. So now you're working as a beloved repetitor of Forsyth's work. So how did your time in Frankfurt then kind of come to you becoming a repetitor for Bill and then going all across the world to represent his works? Because of course, it's hard for these choreographers to choose a repetitor. It's, you know, someone who's really taking ownership of a piece and, you know, recreating it on other dancers. So how did he come to choose you for that? 
Well, no, it's it's kind of, it's a bit of the same story as Robert Joffrey, in fact, um, because I, I I do owe much of who I am to Robert Joffrey and William Forsythe, um, and, and my mother, and um, and I think that uh, with Bill, when I came in at already a, a mature ballerina, and and was right away started doing his more balletic works. I, I started teaching ballet class for Fra Ballet Frankfurt, too, because if I wasn't in a program, I just simply offered to give the ballet masters and rehearsal directors a break. I said, hey, I'm happy to teach warm up if you'd like. And it, be, it was just sort of a natural progression. And then um, I did mention to Bill toward the end of my time there, I, I loved watching him produce his evenings and watching him work as a choreographer. And I I learned so much about what it's like to uh, lead a room and um and I asked him, I said, if you if you need more repetitors, I would love to stage your works, primarily the works that are on point, because I understand what it's like to be a ballerina and try mm -hmm. to break rules and how difficult that is. Mm -hmm. Right. I think I can be uh, a resource mm -hmm. because it wasn't easy going to going to him at the age of 35 and having to relearned so much of what I learned. In other words, how to deconstruct a classical phrase using improvisational tools. You know, at that, it, I had just done Aurora, you know, in Pennsylvania Ballet. It was, it was, it was really difficult mm -hmm. to, you know, put on another hat and, and really learn these new tasks and responsibilities. So right. um, I think he saw that and he knew it. And uh, he sent me out to Scottish Ballet to stage a work that had never been staged before. And it was a big success. And I think that was, um, you know, feather in my cap, and he was able to send send me out and continue mm -hmm. to stage for him. And um, <clears throat> along with that, when I left Frankfurt Ballet, uh, I uh, continued dancing for a, a little bit, but I was staging his works and then started to create my own works and uh, and continue to this day to create my own works. So that that again is just another uh, piece of who I am, and it fills a void of being that overall overarching artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, you worked with so many incredible and varied choreographers. How did that shape your own exploration of choreography? Because, I mean, you're saying you you love dancing the Balanchine and you love doing Bill or, or Joffrey stuff, but they're they're all so different. How did that, how does that come together through the prism of your own choreography? Oh, it's great. It's like a beautiful stew, you know? <laughs> it's like, really, you put all that in there and uh, you... You put in a couple little spices, a little Jody spice, and and you you know you stir it up, and it's you know my body still to this day, even though I don't dance, I have you know a visceral experience with it and a, a, a physical memory, so um, it does come out. And uh, the, for example, with George Balanchine works, the the amount of counterpoint and quickness in the footwork really is exciting to me. And I love that when making work and I love making, you know, off kilter work in point shoes for women. Mm -hmm. um, I like, I feel a sense of responsibility as a woman that can make a, a dance on point for a professional company because there's not a lot of us out there. Right. And um, if I can be a role model to the students now, then I'm, I'm happy to do it. Um, I have less time now to make work, but for example, I'm going to Sacramento Ballet in, in September to remount a piece of mine that I initially did on Colorado Ballet. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I still I still dabble and I enjoy it a lot. And again, I feel a, that I have a role in the uh, arc of you know contemporary ballet and where women fit into that as dance makers. Mm. I love that you brought that up because I, I think of uh, my my female peers um, 
you know, I mean, the rep that we danced was primarily, almost entirely that of male choreographers. And I can remember times where they would just say, this doesn't make sense in a point shoe. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, you know, the, we're lucky Balanchine just seemed to have some inherent sense of it, you know, but a lot of men just cannot obviously personally understand it because they didn't live it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm with you 100%. And I, and I think, uh, there is opportunity and perhaps, you know, doors have been open now for women, you know, to create, but again, um, encouraging them. That, that in fact, we do know what it's like to be in those point boots and, and, you know, being a mentality <laughs> is scary, right? You know, yeah. so it's, you know, how do you, how do you play with the shoe and play with the box? And, um, and it, you really do if after years and years on those shoes, you know, you know how to work the shoe. You should at least um, <laughs> at a certain level. And I, I always say to students, uh, don't, don't let the shoe work you. You work the shoe. You know, mm. my favorite ballerinas are those ballerinas that have that beautiful demi point when they roll through. Oh yeah, it's that rolling through the shoe and the strength that one develops that, to me, is the difference between good and great. That's heaven. I love that. <laughs> so you're now the vice dean and director of University of Southern California's Gloria Kaufman School of Dance. Um, can you tell us a little bit how this opportunity initially came about and what made you eager to accept it? Sure. Uh, well, at the time, so when I retired officially from the stage, it was about 2006. And um, I moved to Southern California on a whim, quite frankly, uh, because I had friends and I just wanted a break from from um, living in New York, which I was at that time. I was in between where I wanted, didn't know where I wanted to base myself. I was staging for Bill Forsyth and still creating my own works. And um, I received an offer from University of California, Irvine, UCI, and I became a tenured professor there. I was a tenured professor there from 2006 to 2013. And uh, it was really a role that I didn't anticipate seeing. I was mm-hmm. I was actually going to apply to directorships for dance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw myself yeah. going in that direction. Uh-huh. And um, so I stumbled into academia, but not by chance. I had all of the the credentials, meaning that I had a prolific career of dancing and uh, leadership skills. I've taught a a bunch. I know how to lead a room. And um, I had already started a nonprofit organization for dance education and presentation in Laguna Beach, California in 2005. And um, so little did I know that I had the tools to um, to actually create a, a leadership position in academia. And my time as a professor at UCI was wonderful. I was able, because I um, a, a, was a tenured professor there, uh, my research was primarily my staging and my choreography. And so I was still traveling to Paris and Prague and Milan and San Francisco and Houston and Pennsylvania Ballet and, and making or, or uh, restaging work for Bill. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was associate professor there. And then in about 2011, I met Gloria through a friend, uh, Desmond Richardson, who you might know. Um, mm-hmm. And he, we went to dinner together and, uh, and I just fell in love with Gloria. She's just an adorable woman who loves dance. And I wasn't looking for anything new. Um, I had a beautiful position and over the year, year and a half, you know, she started confiding in me how she would like to start a dance school. Would she like to contribute funds to create something? You know, she doesn't know what that might be. And 
I um, then all of a sudden um, I get a call from uh, the dean here, uh, Dean Curieta, asking to meet with me, and that uh, Gloria has uh, will likely give a gift uh, to the University of Southern California. Long story short, um, it took about a year for me to decide because I knew it was going to be a hefty responsibility, monumental mm-hmm. task to design a curriculum from scratch at a major private research institution, and it had Gloria names, Gloria's name on it, so it had to be good. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, this was a big deal. I was I was living in Laguna Beach, having my good good old time there um, and, and attending professor. So I did, t- I did say yes. And because I, I figured at this point in my life, this opportunity just does not come around much. Um, and um, I came in as a full tenured professor, uh, vice dean and director of the program. And I um, over 40 courses were designed within eight months. And I was a part of the, in all three design, phases of the building and um, you know called a lot a lot of my friends to ask for support and helping design syllabi of courses I knew that we wanted to offer and called upon people that I really respected in the field to help so I owe them all a great favor um, into the success mm-hmm. of the school and the program you know mm-hmm. um, Bill I you know I said one of the first things I sent to Dean Cudietta and Gloria was do you know who William Forsyth is and uh, the dean did not know, and Gloria said, "Oh, I think I've met him once at some event." Mm-hmm. Said, okay, we're going to go fly to Frankfurt, Germany, and I want you to meet this man. Oh wow! <laughs> and we did, and we did. That's awesome. And, um, and the reason why it was not in my head that he would be a part of the school, but more the fact that um, he's brilliant. You know, it's it's like it's like if we if Mr. Balanchine was still alive, I would have mm-hmm. asked him. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah want a brilliant mind in the room to help sort of maybe brainstorm and hey what 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 is a void in the field right now might how might we change the field with a new program in dance education because there's so many wonderful programs already out there mm-hmm. and college is expensive and if we're going to do this what does that look like and mm-hmm. we spent several days with him and um it was wonderful brainstorming and just talking and you know, I then called Ohad Naharin too and asked him how what 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 do you think? And I mean, and and my friends that are directing companies like Tom Musbrook or Glenn Edgerton, who's at Hubbard Street, Adam Sklut, these are all people that I knew from the Joffrey. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, asked questions. You know, what what are the needs? And uh, that's really where the core of where the curriculum started. And uh, knowing that a BFA in dance was what we were going to start with, which is a specialized degree and um, and Bill got so excited over the course of a couple of years that he came on board as faculty. And, mm-hmm. um, and it's extraordinary that these students, that these, you know, 18 year olds coming in are working with Bill their first three weeks. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. And it's extraordinary. And I remind them, mom, like, listen, you're, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, you're in a beautiful building dancing. You have access to a faculty that is a world renowned and you're, you're working with Bill Forsyth and you're learning this incredible rep, you know, take advantage of it because this is what is, this is the education you deserve and that you're paying for. And from here, create your own model. What is the new model for dance? You know, mm. Bill, is it on a screen? Is it in VR, AR? Is it a new company that reimagines how you, know, how you can access a different audience? And so graduating this class that's now on their way out, 
I saw the work. I saw everything we've been teaching for four years, all of us, in their senior projects and on the stage. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, they are leaders. They're, they're, they are ninja warriors. They're brave. They're thoughtful. They're empathetic. They're gorgeous dancers. And over 50% of them have already been employed. That's incredible. It's, wow. Because we know the state of the arts and the state of being in a dance company, there are not many jobs out there. Yeah. Right. So, over 50% have been employed and the others have all kinds of things planned. Wow. That's great. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I think we have to let you go back uh, and do all this incredible work that it sounds like you're doing. Um, but it sounds like we've got, you know, a good seven other podcasts we could do with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I, mean, I could do <laughs> one. Got, we could get one with just you talking about Bill. I mean, that I just think is so fascinating. And I think it's such an incredible opportunity for those students to be able to work with a genius um at their age and level you know and what a coup that you managed to to secure that for the school so thank you and i and i want to credit credit also all the core faculty here because it really um i i now see the work you know it's like what is the measurable success mm-hmm. and, and and it really is in every, every part of what they've done if they you know some one of the students has designed an app for choreography. Another is writing a book about the Brown Ballerina. I mean, the level of scholarly work as well as when you see them on stage. It's just, it really took everyone. And um, mm-hmm. I would be happy to do six more podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, as you can tell, great. I can talk and talk. But I, I really, I thank you so much for mm-hmm. for contacting us, and I'm I'm really grateful to get the word out. No, thank you for coming you. on. You know, just so you know, I've had requests for ages to get you on the podcast from people who worked with you. And that's why <laughs> when we asked, you know, we didn't say, okay, you're a, you're a repetitor. You are the beloved Forsyth repetitor because <laughs> a lot of people who worked with you have said you have to get Jody on because she was just such an incredible person to work with. So, Oh, that's so nice. That's great <laughs> to hear. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Sure. Well, well uh, we again. hope to talk to you soon. And thanks again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Take care. You too. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you are new to the podcast, we invite you to click available episodes in your favorite podcast app to explore our catalog of over 140 episodes with some of the most influential people in the ballet and dance world. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends. New episodes of Conversations on Dance go live every Monday. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.